Welcome to Deep End of Public Education. My name is Kristen Grubbs, and I'm grateful you are allowing my sound waves to hit your ears. In my first episode, I shared with you concerns regarding Panorama student surveys in my local school district, but we left off with unanswered questions. I shared with you what happens to the information that is gathered from the Student Climate and Equity Survey, but I didn't share with you what happens with the social-emotional learning responses. Let us not dawdle at the edge of the pool, but dive right in to the deep end of public education. If you haven't listened to episode one yet, I'll clarify what surveys I'm talking about. My local school district was seeking a way to gauge student assessments of the school climate, how equitable the district is, and how students feel about what they bring to the school environment. The district found Panorama Education, Inc. through Choice Partners Co-op, a source for vendors for government agencies across the country. I've not yet found evidence of other vendors that were considered for surveying students, so there's no comparison available in our board documents. Panorama's social-emotional learning surveys have questions on four categories. Self-efficacy, growth mindset, self-management, and social awareness. Let's walk through some of these questions, and then I'll share with you what happens with the response data collected. Keep in mind, these surveys are distributed to students in third through 12th grade. These first two questions relate to a student's performance in school. The questions are prefaced with the following. Quote, whether a person does well or poorly in school may depend on a lot of different things. You may feel that some of these things were easier for you to change than others. In school, how possible is it for you to change? End quote. And then it lists an attribute and the student selects one of five options, ranging from not at all possible to change all the way to completely possible to change. The first one I want to focus on is, in school, how possible is it for you to change being talented. To be clear here, let's do a quick run through of what common dictionaries say talent is. Natural endowment or ability of a superior quality. A special natural ability or aptitude to be good at something, especially without being taught. Hmm. So the survey done by a professional survey company is asking our third through 12th grade students how possible it is for them to change something that is a natural endowment, ability, or aptitude. Third through 12th graders, what in the world would the district do with response data from this question? Moving on, this next one asks, in school, how possible is it for you to change your level of intelligence? This seems very similar to the talent one, but let's run through some common definitions again to make sure. Intelligence is defined as the ability to acquire, understand, and use knowledge, or the capacity for learning, reason, and understanding in similar forms of mental activity. So we are expecting our eight-year-olds to understand what intelligence means and then assess how possible it may be for them to change their level of it. Maybe it's just me, but I think the question would be more clear if it asked, how possible is it for you to change how much you know or your level of knowledge? To clarify the difference, let's run through some common definitions of knowledge. Familiarity, awareness, or understanding gained through experience or study. Acquaintance with facts, truths, or principles as from study or investigation. 
It seems to me like asking a child whether it's possible to grow in knowledge makes more sense than asking whether they can grow in intelligence. Regardless, these questions are not only worded poorly, but their purpose is also unclear when just assessing them at the individual level. The bigger picture may help, but for now, let's just move on to the next set of questions. This next set of questions is prefaced with the following. Please answer the following questions about how you respond to different situations. During the past 30 days, how carefully did you listen to other people's points of view? During the past 30 days, how much did you care about other people's feelings? During the past 30 days, how well did you get along with students who are different from you? You might be asking, what's wrong with these questions? You're right in that they're seemingly innocent. The first one I asked here about listening to other people's points of view, I shared with you to give an idea of where these other ones are going. Yes, it's awesome to encourage students to listen to other perspectives. Heck, that's what I'm essentially doing with my podcast. I'm asking others to listen to what I've found, and I'm sharing the questions the information raises, as well as my concerns. The next question, though, is asking the student to rate their level of care about someone's feelings. To be blunt, our school system was not built to measure how much care a student has for another person's feelings. Honestly, it doesn't matter. What measures would the school district take to change how much one student cares about another student's feelings? If the school district and its employees are legitimately treating every student as though they are worthy of their time and attention, because they are, if they're modeling that respect to our students, then I believe student behavior towards each other and the staff will reflect that. In other words, love others and the other stuff will fall into place. Regardless of what the district may do, the schools can't make a student care more about another's feelings. Moving on, the third question here needs a little more detail. Just asking, how well did you get along with students who are different from you, is rather vague. How is the word different defined here? Adults, especially in today's environment, may read different to be referring to race, ethnicity, or culture, as were many of the questions in episode one from the Student Climate and Equity Survey. However, kids think very differently. If you ask a kid, especially in the younger grades, what it means to be different from someone, they may say they have different favorite foods or favorite sports. They may think you're talking about someone with a different hair color or height. They're often not even thinking of race. This is where this question fails. The student taking the survey needs to know what exactly is being asked. One intention of these surveys, yes, even these particular questions on the social emotional learning survey, is to determine how race affects our school district. Some may try to deny this, but every analysis of data in our board meetings that is looked at, quote, through the lens of equity, end quote, is broken down by race. If the survey is wanting to know how well students get along with people of a race that's different than theirs, then the survey should ask that. The survey analysts may look at the data that says third graders don't get along with people who are different than them, thinking there's a rash of racism in third grade, when really the third graders may be communicating that the dog lovers don't get along with the cat lovers. This sounds really silly. But such a simple misunderstanding of definition of the word different could easily lead to a misunderstanding of response data. This question provides no usable information for the district. 
These next several questions are also referring to the past 30 days. Here we go. When others disagreed with you, how respectful were you of their view? How often did you remain calm, even when someone was bothering you or saying bad things? To what extent were you able to stand up for yourself without putting others down? To what extent were you able to disagree with others without starting an argument? How often did you keep your temper in check? My initial reaction was, yeah, right. How many kids are honestly going to say that they were extremely disrespectful towards others when they disagreed? Or that they didn't remain calm at all? Or that they never keep their temper in check? Clearly, these are all behavior-oriented. And you might agree that we should be mindful of our behavior so we can strive to be respectful of others and their views. I think these are all decent questions we should ask ourselves to keep our own behavior in check. The concern I have here isn't necessarily the questions themselves, but the fact that the school is asking them and gathering responses. Let's swim further into the deep end now as I explained what happens to all the data collected from the social emotional learning surveys. When I first confirmed, as mentioned in episode one, that Panorama was directly integrated with our school district student information system, I had no details as to what that meant. I ended up meeting with the district administrator in charge of the contract with Panorama, and she provided me with some unsettling pay confirming my suspicion. Three times a year, students are administered the SEL, or Social Emotional Learning Surveys. The Student Climate and Equity Surveys mentioned in Episode 1 are distributed twice a year. The data gathered from the SEL surveys is aggregated, disaggregated by demographics, like the Student Climate and Equity Surveys, and then reports are sent back to the district. Other than the questions on these surveys, the other major difference is that the response data from the SEL surveys is not lost when the data is collected. When a student answers their SEL survey, the responses are given a numerical value based on how the student responded. A negative response would naturally be given a smaller numerical value, and the more positive response would get a higher numerical value. The questions on the SEL surveys are categorized by topics, as I previously mentioned, self-efficacy, growth mindset, self-management, and social awareness. The numerical values assigned each response within a category are averaged, and the student is left with a numerical value that represents their self-assessment of that category. These values are then recorded on the student's record. Yes, the student record may not have the actual responses a student gave, but it's got a numerical value that essentially scores the student based on their responses on the SEL survey. Each time the student takes the SEL survey again, their new scores for each category are recorded on their record, showing their pattern of aggregate responses over time. It is said that tracking these data values will help teachers see when a student is struggling, so they can implement an intervention method that's fitting. How would they know what intervention method to choose, you ask? Well, because the record these survey values are being tracked in is on the Panorama Student Success Platform that our district contracted to use for this very purpose. Yes, our nearly 18,000 students in my school district each have a record on the proprietary Panorama platform that pulls data from all kinds of student records and other systems so teachers can see an overview of each of their students on their Panorama dashboard. To give you a better idea of what this platform looks like, let me give you the laundry list of items currently on the Panorama platform for each student. Name, 
email, gender, gifted status, 504 status, grade level, date of birth, race, ethnicity, language learner status, special education status, DCID, student ID, student number, schedule of classes, teachers, grades, state and other assessment results like MAP testing, NWEA, AIMS Web, SAT, ACT, etc. Attendance record, behavioral incidences, and SEL survey tracking. If your mind hasn't already been blown by the volume of information that Panorama now has access to about each of our students, pay attention, especially you people who are big on data security and confidentiality. The Panorama platform is a proprietary web-based platform that is stored on surveys owned by none other than Amazon Web Services. My particular school district has given permission for our students' data to be shared with Panorama. No, wait. The district administrator's actual words were directly integrated with Panorama-only servers. The particular servers my Missouri school district's data are on are in Virginia. Panorama claims in the contract with the district that they manage and secure the servers. Each night, the records are updated, so there's a constant flow of information from our district to Panorama on these Amazon Web Service servers. For those of you who don't work in an environment based on confidentiality, there is a giant red flag staring us in the face here. Student records are full of what is called Personally Identifiable Information, or PII. Protection of this information is absolutely vital. There are laws in place for the specific purpose of protecting student information. The primary law protecting PII for students is called the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act, or FERPA. This law exists to declare parental authority over students' records and explain what rights parents have regarding those records. Within this law, school districts are given certain permissions as well as state and federal agencies regarding student records. For example, if a student has committed a crime or is in the process of committing a crime on school property, authorities have certain permissions without consent to access that student's record during the adjudication process or during the commission of the crime, like in the case of an active shooter at a school. I say all this to make a point that there are certain exceptions to parents having full authority of their students' records. But in general, parents have defined rights within FERPA to make decisions regarding these records. This is where Panorama and the school district have stepped in and usurped my authority and many other parents' authority over their kids' records. Section 99.3 of FERPA says, The parent or eligible student shall provide a signed and dated written consent before an educational agency or institution discloses personally identifiable information from the student's education records, except as provided in Section 99.31. Section 99.31 details exceptions like I previously mentioned. In research, I read through each of these exceptions, trying to understand why my school district didn't ask my permission to share my students' data. There are two areas of this law that apply to the relationship between my school district and Panorama. In a letter from the school district's attorney, it is stated that the purpose of the contract with Panorama is for the student surveys. This tells me the contract was made with the primary goal of researching school climate. Section 99.31 reads, an educational agency or institution may disclose PII from an educational record of a student without consent 
required by Section 99.3 if the disclosure meets one or more of the following conditions. Only one of these conditions referred to research. It states that consent is not required if the disclosure is to organizations conducting studies for or on behalf of educational agencies or institutions to A, develop, validate, or administer predictive tests, B, administer student aid programs, or C, improve instruction. The problem with Panorama and this research exemption under FERPA is that Panorama doesn't meet any of these criteria. All Panorama provides to the school district is the surveys and data analyses. The platform they provide does nothing but provide a dashboard of data. Panorama has nothing to do with predictive testing like state assessments. It doesn't administer student aid programs and it provides no improvement to instruction. It merely provides data and analyses. How then has Panorama been allowed to dis how then has Panorama been allowed disclosure of student records without parental consent? The district's attorney claimed that the district was protected under a different exception in this section of the law. This exception he referred to says parental consent is not necessary if, quote, a contractor, consultant, volunteer, or other party to whom an agency or institution has, outsour has outsourced institutional services or functions may be considered a school official under this paragraph provided that the outside party, one, performs an institutional service or function for which the agency or institution would otherwise use employees, two, is under the direct control of the agency or institution with respect to the use and maintenance of education records, and three, is subject to the requirements of Section 99.33 governing the use and redisclosure of PII from education records. This portion of the law had me stumped. I thought, surely there's a limitation as to who a local school district can contract with, at least based on the purpose of the contract. Discussing this with federal and state agencies, I was basically told that local school districts have a lot of freedom in this area because regulating or restricting these kinds of district vendor relationships would be an overreach of government. And this I could agree. However, that still left me wondering how would, how it would then be perfectly legal for my local school district to choose any company to contract with for whatever reason, as long as the district saw it as what the law would call of, quote, legitimate educational interest, end quote. This told me that the school board, for which our voter turnout is nearly non-existent at under 15% this year, has a lot more power than people realize. This is one of the many reasons that led to me starting this podcast and my Deep End of Public Education Facebook page. Parents and voters need to know what is going on in our school districts. This discovery in federal law has revealed a legislative concern regarding parental rights. The Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act was created to protect parental rights over student records. Yet there's this one little piece of this giant law that undoes the entire purpose of it in the first place. It's like the government is saying parents have authority except when school districts think it's okay to share student data. What is the point of the law then? There's got to be some sort of check in place to keep rogue school districts from disclosing student data to whatever agency they think sounds There is more to this battle between school districts and parents for who has authority over students. 
but I'll save that for our next dive into the deep end of public education. I appreciate you joining me today. I hope that you've gleaned something new from what I've shared and that you can use it as a guide if you're considering a dive into your local school district. Swimming in the deep end for too long can be exhausting, so let's dry off and recoup before we return to the deep end of public education. Thank you for listening and God bless.